Hello and welcome to Giving Ventures, a podcast to help you grow your giving and change the world for the better. Each episode, we share innovative charitable efforts leveraging private philanthropy to solve public problems. I'm your host, Peter Lipset, Vice President at Donors Trust. This show is a product of Donors Trust, the oldest and largest donor advised fund focused on helping conservative and libertarian donors of all capacities simplify, protect, and grow their giving. My colleagues and I talk with a lot of groups doing great work. This show lets us share a bit of what we learned with you so you can discover new projects for your own philanthropy. It just so happens that today, June 27th, the day we're releasing this episode, is the five-year anniversary of the landmark decision in Janus versus Afshmi that made it illegal for non-union members to be compelled to pay union dues. This created an opportunity for groups to challenge the political strength of unions, which used those compelled dues to support causes that the dues payer did not always agree with. Today, we're going to talk to three groups helping union members understand their rights to decide for themselves if they want to be part of a union. These efforts have not always gone smoothly, as you'll hear, and the political power unions hold plus the influence unions have on their respective membership means it takes a broad, persistent, multifaceted approach to make change. You're going to enjoy hearing from our three guests, Aaron Wyth of the Freedom Foundation, Joe Lehman of Mackinac Center for Public Policy in Michigan, and Elizabeth Messenger of Americans for Fair Treatment. I count all three as friends, and even still, I learned a lot in my conversations with them, and I am sure you will too. And by the way, I apologize that I sound like I have a metal bucket on my head during some of these interviews. Mistakes were made, but at least it makes the guests sound... Uh, top-notch, and much better. And that's always what we want, right? All right, let's jump in. Kicking off our conversation today, we'll talk with an organization that's fully focused on promoting the idea of worker freedom while driving opt-outs across the country. Freedom Foundation is based in Olympia, Washington, but works in states throughout the U.S. Aaron Witt is president and CEO of Freedom Foundation, and now a published author, which we'll get to in a little bit. But first, Aaron, as I said at the top of the show, we're five years out from the Janus decision. What's changed since then? I mean, do you feel that the right, the conservative side, however you want to frame it, is making positive strides? Yeah, so first of all, thanks for having me on, Peter. The Janus decision, what it did is it allowed every public employee in America the ability to leave their union, a right that they'd never previously had the ability to do. So what we've spent the last five years doing is telling every public employee in America that they can leave, because most of them still have no idea. So what we've seen since the Janus decision is membership is at 20 year lows in the top uh, top four unions in America. Uh, We've seen hundreds of thousands of people uh, getting out of their unions. And we've also seen hundreds of thousands of people not join the unions. So I think from all angles, we're seeing union membership decline and therefore the power is getting put back in the hands of people and out of the hands of union bosses. Do you feel that's happening as fast as we would like it to i guess it's never as fast as we would like it to but there's a lot of hope after the janice decision that things were going to happen really quickly do you think that panned out yeah it did pan out with uh, with people that had the best expectations because you got to remember government unions built a monopoly on taking public employees money over 50 years we were never going to unravel that overnight they have a monopoly on their ability to take this money and spend it on politics So what you have to do is you have to change the hearts and minds of every public employee in America. 
It's great to have legislative wins, which we'll talk about, I'm sure. It's great to have litigation wins. But if you can't actually change the minds of people in America when it comes to union membership, it doesn't make a difference. Now, Freedom Foundation started as Evergreen Freedom Foundation. It started as a traditional think tank by uh, Bob Williams and some other great folks. At some point, and I'm not, you can tell me exactly when, it shifted to be fully focused on this union issue. How did that transition happen? Yeah, so Bob Williams and Lynn Harsh and some others started the Freedom Foundation in 91. And like you said, uh, a, think, a traditional think tank focused on uh, conservative ideas, focused on uh, advocacy work for uh, changing the state of Washington. Uh, noble goals, and they, they achieved some great things in that time. But what, what we figured out over that time frame was that you can't have meaningful reform and change in a state where government unions are so big and so powerful. So in 2014, my predecessor, Tom McCabe, uh, got hired on at the Freedom Foundation, and he decided at that time that they were going to take all their resources and put them, point them right at government unions in Washington. So that's when we made the change, and over the course of the next few years, uh, we expanded the campaign to educate public employees from Washington across the country. So you're almost now the offensive line for the freedom movement, just blocking and tackling against some of these unions so that groups like out there, the Washington Policy Center or Cascade down in Oregon or groups across the country can kind of do more. Is that fair? Yeah, that's right. And I think the biggest, um, the biggest highlight of that has been school choice over the past couple of years. I mean, when you reduce the teachers' union's influence, you're able to pass reform uh, like school choice in states that you have a friendly legislature and a friendly governor uh, because you, the, the unions don't have the power that they used to have. And uh, it's become uh, politically um, more attractive to go and attack unions than it used to be. Um, and school choice is the number one thing that the teachers unions hate. So when you can actually get together and get rid of the teachers unions influence, you can pass great reform like school choice. It's interesting. I've never really heard the story of how Tom made that switch back in 2014. That all makes perfect sense, especially being based in Washington where the unions are so strong and so, so prevalent. So that's, that's interesting. Now, you, you all have had a pretty good year uh, legislatively. I saw a brag sheet recently that I think four states have passed rules making it easier to opt out of unions, e easier still than, than the Janus decision already made us. Tell us about some of those victories and what they mean. Yeah, so legislation passed in four states. We work very actively in Arkansas and Florida, and there are other groups that uh, were able to get legislation passed in uh, Kentucky and Tennessee. What these bills all did was stop uh, the government's ability to take union dues from public employees. It's a big win because in no other instance do you have a government entity taking money for a private entity. You know, it just doesn't happen anywhere else. If people want to belong to a union, they absolutely have the right to do that, but they should be ones writing them a check or giving them the credit card information, just like every other private sector business. So what we've been able to do is we've been able to get rid of the government's uh, mandate to take these union dues from people and allow people to make those decisions about whether they want to pay union dues. Uh, we believe that it's going to have a significant impact, but the work has just started. The unions are running around in these states trying to get these people to, to rejoin, re-sign up for membership and get their credit card information. So we at the Freedom Foundation are running a counter campaign to tell all these public employees just simply not to rejoin. Just try it out for three months. See if you're missing anything by 
having an extra $80 or $90 a month in your pockets. Most oftentimes, uh, they won't, and they won't rejoin the union, and their money will be better off in their pockets. Yeah, well, at least the union's having to go and work and <laughs> make, take their message to the people in a way they haven't actually had to do for a long time, right? Yeah, and, th and that's the way that we see it, Peter, is that uh, these unions, I mean, if they want to exist, they should exist to represent their members and provide them benefits that outweigh the cost of membership. That's not how they operate today. They are first and foremost political organizations that exist to pursue a political agenda. Frankly, what we've seen in the teachers' unions the past couple of years, they've shown us that they don't care about their members one bit. Were those laws in those four states you mentioned essentially just codifying into state constitutions the Janus decision, or are they bigger than that? It was in some ways, because what the Janus decision said was that uh, employees need to affirmatively consent to belong to a union. Uh, that has not been practiced the way that I believe it was intended to be. This is one way that shows that if a public employee wants to be a member, then they have actually consented to that. If you give someone your banking information, I mean, you're consenting to membership. But uh, the status quo previously has been, well, they were a member before the Janus decision, so they should be a member afterwards as well. We don't need to ask them whether they want to be. We'll just take the money from them. Um, and that's wrong because a lot of public employees in America still don't even know that they can leave. Well, let's talk about your book that just came out uh, earlier this week that we're recording here. Congratulations on that. It's called Freedom is the Foundation. What is it about? Talk to us about it. So I moved to America in college and I realized I was kind of apolitical at the time. I didn't know much about business or politics or really anything except how to put a basketball into a hoop. Um, and I moved over here and I realized that America was the land of opportunity. I realized that um, this is a place where you can work hard and achieve great things. Um, but the left and government unions are trying to turn America back into the country that I just left, which is the UK. And it's basically a socialist country today. So I got put on fire for the mission at the Freedom Foundation at that time. I came in as an intern and I learned firsthand what these unions were doing to people, how they were taking advantage of them, how they were taking their money and spending it on politics. And the book is basically an exposure of what the Freedom Foundation does. Uh, a couple of years ago, a friend told me, he said, hey, you got to write a book about all these things that you're doing, because if people read it, they'll support what you're doing. Um, so I put it together really as a documentation piece to show what the Freedom Foundation doing, why unions are bad, uh, and why we need to fight them, and how we beat them. So, if we talk again in another five years, as I'm sure we will, what do you think the state of worker freedom is going to be in America? Yeah, I think it'll be doubled down from where it is today. What happens when you reduce union membership is that you change the culture in a workplace. And I think one of the best examples of this is the work that we've been able to do in Oregon. In Oregon, we've been able to help um, a third of the state employees to get out of uh, the biggest union in that state, the SEIU. Uh, we've helped over 20% of teachers, uh, over 30% of county and city workers to leave the unions. But what we found most effective there was not actually uh, our initial messaging. It was once we got the message to some influencers, once we got the message to people that uh, would spread it along to their others, it spreads like wildfire. And when you can do that in big let's say state worker offices, uh, the majority of people will leave. 
So really, I think the, uh, the biggest question I have between now and then is how quickly we can spread this message across the country and continue to, uh, to get warriors in our camp. Freedom Foundation is nothing if not persistent and is out there banging this drum. Aaron Weth, thanks for joining us. Thank you, Peter. The Janus victory didn't simply create an opportunity for groups that are solely focused on the union issue. State-based groups joined the fray as well, and Michigan's Mackinac Center served as a key leader in that effort, partnering with a number of other state and national groups to spearhead an education effort helping union members opt out. Mackinac is one of the stars among State Policy Network member organizations, and I am delighted to talk to my friend Joe Lehman about its work. Uh, Joe, we'll dive deeper into the union stuff in just a minute, but how about you just give our audience a broader sense of the work of Mackinac? Uh, sure, Peter. Thank you very much. Uh, the, the Mackinac Center is a think tank that focuses primarily on Michigan, on a wide range of economic issues, and one of the specialties we developed over the years is a deep expertise in labor policy because as a Michigan think tank starting in the 1980s, if you're not an expert on labor policy, uh, you're not really going anywhere as a think tank because labor policy uh, infuses everything in Michigan to a less extent today than it used to, but uh, sort of a ticket to, uh, ticket to entry was uh, uh, learn your labor policy stuff. Well, something flowed from that expertise in labor policy. We, we kept being good at state policy in Michigan across a range of fields, but something interesting happened with labor. Uh, we were one of the only groups focused on labor policy at the state level across the entire country, and our phone would ring around, from around the country. Hey, will you help us out in this state and that state? the callers would say. And so we developed a national footprint on labor policy, not national in the sense of the federal government, but national in the sense of multiple states. I think that's something you're seeing with a number of think tanks that are developing real expertise in different areas and still focused on their state, but able to leverage that and work together. I think that's one of the great things about state policy network organizations in general. But because of that, Mackinac was able to be a key leader when the Janus decision came down five years ago. Talk to us about, A, your role in, in that, but, but maybe start with, what was the view of the opportunity among the state think tanks when the Janus decision came down? First of all, we had the decision in view long before it did come down. And, and that was part of the reason that I, I think we were able to uh, take a lead role in helping to actually, uh, let's say, enforce the Janus decision after the ruling came down. So I have to back up a little bit to tell you why we saw that opportunity coming, and I think we saw it before just about anyone, anyone else. Since we had worked in labor policy for so many uh, years, uh, we knew the importance of putting uh, issues before the courts so that they could uh, eventually find uh, favorable rulings at the U.S. Supreme Court. And a particularly, uh, there was a, a case called Abood, which uh, originated in Michigan, which established the rules for how uh, people who objected to being in public sector unions uh, it established the rules for how much those people still had to pay. So they got a little bit of break on their dues, but they still had to pay, and there was still some injustice in that. 
we wanted that decision to be overturned. And so uh, we, we and other groups were working to make sure the courts had all they needed to take that opportunity uh, when they were ready. So still focused on Michigan policy, however, we played, I would say, uh, maybe the most significant role in Michigan to make Michigan a right to work state in 2012. And that meant that nobody could be forced to pay dues as a condition of employment in the private sector or the public sector. So that was a great, great victory in 2012. And frankly, we considered the passage of that law to be the definition of victory. But something happened after that uh, supposed victory. Precisely nothing. Nothing happened after the victory. Well, when I say nothing, I mean we expected uh, unionized government workers, private sector workers, to rush for the exits of unions. But it didn't happen, Peter. One percent of the membership of the state's largest unions left those uh, unions. And then we, we just had a very, it was a very sobering wake-up call. We said we did all this work. We set people free from unions if they wanted to be free, and only 1% got out. What's happening? Well, we found out that people did not know they even had rights to leave the union. And it turns out that you can give people their freedom, but if they don't know about it, they can't execute it. Freedom is not self-executing. And so the Mackinac Center, in order to take advantage of this great victory of making Michigan a right-to-work state, we had to educate hundreds of thousands and even millions of workers on what to do if uh, they're in a union that they want to get out of. Because there are legal processes that still had to be followed, and the union controlled those processes. And of course, the unions did not make it easy to get out of the union. Well, we worked very hard over the course of the next three years union membership dropped 20% in the state's uh, largest public sector unions. And that was due directly to the Mackinac Center's educational efforts and legal efforts, uh, all 501c3 compliant, uh, to uh, just to communicate directly with unionized workers who wanted out. Now, this was five years before the Janus decision. So when we knew the court would hear Janus, and when our friends at Illinois Policy, Liberty Justice Center, and National Right to Work Legal Defense Foundation, they're the ones who actually brought the Janus case. They, they made that uh, fantastic case happen. Even before the court said they would take the case, uh, we started sounding the alert. We said, we have got to get ready if the court takes Janus, and if the court rules the way that it should, we will need a 50-state effort, a multi-multi-million dollar effort to educate workers on how to get out of their union if they want to, because if we don't, nothing will happen. Nobody will leave, because we tried it in Michigan. Nobody left until we got busy educating them. So that's exactly what we did, Peter. As uh, uh, months before the Janus decision came down, we started working with other groups across the network. The project was really too big for Mackinac. Uh, we, we needed to enlist as many of our allies as we could, as many uh, from the donor community as we possibly could. Uh, I remember asking a question to a, a group a group of about 1,000 think tankers uh, about 10 years ago. I said, where are our $100 million ideas? Why don't we have any $100 million ideas? 
the reason we don't get $100 million gifts is maybe because we don't have $100 million ideas. This was more than a $100 million idea because if we could just match Michigan's performance in the four years after it went right to work, that would mean $600 million less across the country going from workers' pockets into unions. And we know that uh, unions are predisposed to, to use their, fund, their, their discretionary political funds to fund uh, work that uh, goes against the interests of uh, free markets. And so a lot of that union money ends up being very, very harmful in the political ecosystem. And so uh, we, we wanted the unions to have to work uh, very hard to prioritize uh, however much money they had left when people found it easier to leave. So you take that playbook that you all developed um, and the lessons learned you spent the past, you know, there was a big push right after Janus, and then, you know, it continues because I think one of the learnings was even having a playbook, it's still hard. How would you grade the effort? How do you feel like we've we've come in five years? Uh, that's a great question. So I, I would break the effort down into pieces, and I would also stipulate that we had never done anything like this, and in fact, nobody had ever done anything like this. Uh, so, uh, uh, but... I would give us uh, I would give us an A for uh, the the vision and the preparation because when the decision came down I believe it was June uh, 27th or 28th in 2018 uh, we were ready that day that very day uh, we were in contact with hundreds of thousands of workers the very day because uh, press attention was at its peak um, I'd give us an A there uh, I would uh, we stumbled in some ways working together with uh, with some of our allies because we were we were trying to share our playbook with everybody we were enthusiastically trying to get people on board and I think some people uh, well we were asking people to do work in an area that they had never worked in before in some cases some of the some groups just had not had reason to be involved in uh, talking to unionized workers in understanding labor law. I would say we had a few moments when I would have given ourselves a D uh, because of just uh, sort of uh, some poor coordination, uh, stumbling over one another's toes from time to time. But uh, we got those grades back up uh, before the final and uh, we are working uh, together now uh, with you know the, the handful of groups that have really figured out how to do it like we have. And uh, you know we've got we've got an A, uh, an A going right now. I would say uh, funding-wise, you know, raising the resources, we we haven't reached the point of diminishing returns yet. Uh, we have raised more money than ever before. We we've raised uh, easily more than fifty million dollars uh, for for the uh, broader effort in the ensuing years. The the more money we spend the more people leave unions. So we just haven't reached the point of diminishing returns yet there. Uh, people still need to be educated and reached with, you know, with the basic message of how to exercise their Janus rights. So I would give us a B on funding. It's not an A because we're not raising as much as we need, but it's not a C because we're certainly raising more than we ever have for uh, anything like this. And can always use more, I'm sure. So. <laughs> 
as we uh, as as we wrap up, you know, this is an ongoing effort, as you say. It, you you mentioned you know got the grades up before the final, but the final exam still is is well into the future because stuff keeps happening. Just briefly tell us about what happened in Florida because I know you all are very involved there. Part of our uh, I think I think the Mackinac Center also deserves credit not only for the insight of seeing the need to reach out to workers after Janice uh, in order to make anything happen, but also to realize that helping workers opt out of their union after they're already in a union is a strategy that only goes so far. Okay, now it's great. Uh, it's gotten us down uh, more than 60% in New Mexico. It's gotten us down uh, the, the, the state that's the least, the least affected is Illinois. Those numbers are only down 13%, but still, you know, uh, opting out is working. It's 22% across uh, the country. And uh, <clears throat> the the work in Florida that you're referring to is the next phase of helping workers exercise their rights. And the Mackinac Center formed uh, an organization called Workers for Opportunity, where we work with attorneys general and governors around the country to, to actually look at what the Janus decision says. Justice Alito wrote the opinion in a way that says, look, unions don't get to assume that workers are part of the union, but then have the ability to opt out. Unions have to prove that they've that those workers wanted to get in a union in the first place. So in other words, there's an opt-out strategy for the workers who say, yeah, I am in a union, but there's an opt-in strategy that says, hey, if I don't opt into a union, don't don't assume I am in a union. And so attorneys general and governors have great power over the public sector workers in their states because uh, public sector union law is governed by the by state law not federal law so you've got 50 different versions of this uh, labor law regarding uh, public sector workers out there uh, governors and attorneys general can explicitly issue opinions and executive orders that say, yeah, we're interpreting the Janus decision in our state just like Justice Alito wrote it. You're not in a union unless the union can prove through a wet signature or some other means that uh, you, know, you, you wanted to join the union. And uh, in, some, in some cases, uh, like in Florida, that has to be uh, repeatedly done on a, on a frequent basis. The union doesn't just get to get you in and keep you in forever. Uh, you know, it's just like uh, if you join the Kiwanis Club, uh, you got to pay your dues every year. You know, you got to sign the thing. Uh, they've got to prove that uh, uh, you you wanted to be in, or you have to prove that you wanted to be in if you want the privileges. And so we uh, uh, we're working in Florida is probably was the biggest state where this has happened, but we got similar executive or uh, executive action in Alaska, Indiana. Texas, uh, uh, now Tennessee. Uh, of course, the unions have sued in all of those places, uh, every single one of those states, but we anticipated that. And uh, that's why talking about a final exam may be not a really good analogy because you know, there's never been a golden age of freedom that we get to return to one day. It's got to be fought for by every generation. Well, that is a good, good note to end on. And uh, I think it's a great story of how you 
learn the lessons from past experience and then helped apply it across so many states. And this is such an important effort that Mackinac is spearheading and a part of with these other state think tanks as well. So Joe Lehman, thanks so much. Thank you very much, Peter. And thanks uh, very much to the donors in the audience who help us out. The folks that Americans for Fair Treatment focus on educating union members about their rights, be it within or outside of the union. When those rights get stepped on, AFFT can offer resources, support, and a way to amplify the story so that things get corrected and the workers' rights are protected. Elizabeth Messenger has been CEO since 2022 and brings experience not just from the public policy space, but also the music business uh, to bear in this unique space. So Elizabeth, AFFT is a bit different than the Freedom Foundation or Mackinac that we just heard from in that you're a membership organization, uh, which would suggest a long-term relationship with the folks that you're working with. So tell us about your model. Yeah. Um, So at Americans for Fair Treatment, we do have a free membership program for public employees and their friends. Uh, So people who maybe are married to a public employee or interested in learning more about this, this world of public employees and, you know, what it's like for the government to be your employer. Um, But we saw in 2018, when the Supreme Court handed down the Janus decision, many people, you know, were aided by organizations across the country um, and leaving their union. And then they wanted a community. These public employees wanted a community on the other side of that. So we stepped up to fill that void. Um, We do a lot of things. We provide professional development training. We provide scholarships for union alternatives for teachers. But we also give teachers and state employees and municipal employees back their voice, which we find the union takes away in a unionized workplace. Yeah, I think that community piece is something that was overlooked in the early planning around post-Janus decisions because it was was a lot of focus on opt-out, but not so much a focus on those extrinsic benefits that a, a union can bring. You think that's fair? I think that's right. I also think for a lot of people, they have a hard time telling their colleagues about life outside the union. There's so much misinformation in a unionized workplace, um, but there's also misinformation in a state like Virginia, where I live, where the unions come in and sort of whisper these sweet nothings to public employees promising the sky. And it's very difficult for a public employee who has taken the stand for themselves to be able to talk with others. So we also equip people to talk with their colleagues or media or lawmakers about that experience in that workplace. Yeah, that's great. I think that's a unique value add. Now, remind me of the history. Did AFFT come out of the Janus decision, or were, did you predate that? We predated it. We were founded in 2014. It was very interesting. Uh, you know, most law firms have these really strict laws about how to advertise their services. So we were sort of founded um, to help public interest law firms identify plaintiffs to challenge different laws specifically in the space where unions intersected with public employees in Pennsylvania. So we were started in 2014, did a little bit of work with a law firm called the Fairness Center. Um, and then we were dormant for a couple years. And then in 2018, as I said, we were sort of reignited to mainly work at that time in Pennsylvania, New York. Now we work in, you know, very, like a, a, very many states across the country, but also with federal employees. So we've expanded that work in that way, which has been very exciting. What do you think the biggest challenge is to getting union members to leave the union? I mean, is it, you know, we we just talked to Joe Lehman. He talked about the knowledge problem, right? I mean, that's that's a basic one. Um, You just mentioned community. What are the hindrances that keep, and maybe they just like being in the union. Like, what is the biggest thing to to preventing even more opt-outs than we're seeing post-Janus? I would say today, 
five years after the Janus decision, it's misinformation. So as Joe probably, you know, has seen hand uh, or firsthand, people don't know that they can leave. So that that's a misinformation problem. But beyond that, people will be told by the union and even their HR director. So a lot of times we find the HR director is not well versed in the mechanics of this, but people will be told if you leave the union, you'll lose your pension, you'll lose your health insurance. That is not true. In certain states, like say New Jersey, teachers are provided disability insurance through the union because the state made a carve out. But we have found another way. So teachers in New Jersey may get their disability insurance from the union there, but they can also get better insurance from a union alternative. So again, there's this huge misinformation campaign. I think um, if you couple that also with the bullying that unions are so well known for, it creates a really toxic environment. And so to have this community for people to plug into, get their questions answered, you know, we do a lot of research, you know, we provide people with flyers they can take to work to educate their colleagues or HR director on. It's really important to strike back at this misinformation and bullying through with facts. So that I would say is the biggest um, hurdle. But what about the the benefits side of it? You know, I know there's a number of groups, and, and frankly, we could probably do a whole separate episode of, of giving ventures just with those groups of these alternatives. So they're not unions, but they fill that void of some of the, the insurance and some of those benefits. Can you talk to us a little bit about those and some of the groups you're working with, how you work with them? Yeah. So two groups that first come to mind are two national groups that serve teachers and school employees, and that's AAE and Christian educators. Um, you probably talked to Colin Sharkey before. He's uh, just been such a good friend, I think, to teachers across the country, as has Christian educators. And they primarily focus on liability insurance, which for many teachers they get from a union or and oftentimes a school district. But again, the union is misinforming uh, the public employee of how that works. But they also provide, these union alternatives provide um, attorneys who can help with whether it's a grievance problem or an issue in the classroom or an issue with the employer. And then what we find is there are just so many uh, professional development opportunities through these union alternatives that the union is no longer providing on the public side. So we found these union alternatives to be a great resource. There are also state-based union alternatives. There's one in Pennsylvania called KEDA. There's one in Louisiana called Appel. And those, again, are great options for teachers to plug in. You know, they can go to meetings on a regular basis. Again, get that insurance, the liability insurance. So this is not health insurance. They provide this liability insurance that a lot of teachers, you know, really want. Um, and we just find these union alternatives to be an incredible community of, you know, helpful, resourceful, like-minded teachers um, for our members. So it's been a great fit for us. You know, on the right, there's often an allergic reaction to, to unions. And sometimes the talk from the right can get pretty nasty. I mean, you kind of forget that they're, they're real people behind those unions. You, know, you sit closer to the actual union members being a, a membership organization than a lot of other groups or, or activists. What do you think other conservatives and libertarian folks get wrong uh, about the stereotypes on unions? And how can we improve our language there? So I usually start by saying, you know, at AFFT, our North Star is the First Amendment. I mean, we believe that is so crucial to, you know, life as an American. It's it's really something that just defines who we are and shapes our rights, all other rights. Um, you know, we believe strongly in the freedom of association. So if we, you know, if we see an American who wants to be part of a union, we believe it's their right to associate with that organization. 
What we don't believe in is forced association. So just like we don't believe in forced speech, we don't believe that someone should be forced to pay a political organization as a condition of employment. Hands down, we don't agree with that. So I think when people come in and say, you know, unions are, they're all bad. Um, you know, we've got an anecdote for so many unions at the local level who provided care and support for their members. So I mean, that's not a true statement to say that they're bad. But when we see these really bloated national public unions, so for example, the teachers union or, you know, an SCIU or an AFSCME, what we see there a lot of times, I mean, we just actually did some research on AFSCME. They give over 99% of their political contributions, so we're talking over $6 million, or I'm sorry, $60 million, goes to Democrats. So such a small amount goes to Republicans. They are very political organizations. So yes, we understand that these are, you know, they're funding one party. But if an American believes in associating with a union, you know, we believe that's their right. Um, we also believe that you know, knowledge is power, and so we want to just try and spread this message of you know, what unions are spending money on when it comes to politics as far as we can. Now, beyond the union relationships directly, you're also holding government accountable uh, in a lot of different ways. As part of that, you recently sued the USPS, the United States Postal Service. Uh, why don't you briefly tell us about what's going on with that? Yeah, well, I'm sure that anyone listening is not going to be surprised when I say that the government is a lousy employer. Um, they also are not great at standing up for the rights of Americans right now. So long story short, um, a couple staffers at AFFT noticed on the free COVID test program that was rolled out by the White House and the USPS last year, there was language in the privacy policy that authorized the post office to give the data, the private personal data of millions of Americans to labor organizations. There is no law that allows this. And just as a reminder, unions are private companies. They're, they're a 501c5. So we filed some FOIAs, were given the runaround, ignored, file a lawsuit. The judge ruled in our favor, and we are waiting for those emails um, in just a couple weeks. So hopefully we'll see what's going on there. Yeah, that's worth following. There's more on your website about it, and I'm sure you'll be broadcasting more there. And, and going back to your point, you don't want the unions, we don't want any organization to compel speech, and that's exactly what you're finding here in this hidden language that, frankly, a lot of us listening uh, took advantage of and, and would be susceptible to. So we are thrilled that uh, Americans for Fair Treatment is out there hunting this and, and building positive relationships with union members in a way that, that uh, can hopefully advance that First Amendment, like you say. Elizabeth Messenger, thanks for being with us. Thank you for having me. Elizabeth made the good point that their North Star, and perhaps the North Star for all of us as we discuss the role of unions, is free speech. No one should be compelled to take action or give money contrary to their beliefs. The Janus decision allowing union members to opt out of their unions is a nod toward that principle. Freedom Foundation, Mackinac, Americans for Fair Treatment are all among the many great groups working to preserve this right. Others that I could have talked to and maybe at some point will include National Right to Work, Center for Independent Employees, the Empire Center up in New York, California Policy Center, Center for Union Facts, and lots more that I'm forgetting right now. If this is an issue that's important to you, we at Donors Trust are happy to help you explore groups that would be a fit for your philanthropy. Just reach out to us. And if you aren't already working with us at Donors Trust to simplify and protect your charitable giving, 
please email us at tellmemore at donorstrust.org or visit our website, donorstrust.org, so we can start a conversation on how we might be able to be helpful to you. Well, we have some more great episodes coming up. uh, And of course, more than 40 past episodes to explore if you are new to Giving Ventures. We've talked about 100 different and unique organizations since we started. I know there is a topic or a group in that mix that will get you excited. So go explore the collection. Until our next episode, thank you for being a giver. We'll talk more soon. Mm -hmm.